0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes.
1: All right, so my first question, a big question for you is, you do a whodunit movie where we find out the killer in the first act, she's incapable of lying, and she's working for the detective. Yes. What was the problem when you decided on that decision for the structure of the screenplay?
2: Well, I mean, the whole thing with the structure of it was figuring out how do I avoid the thing where the problem with a lot of who done it that Hitchcock actually pointed out was it can be a long build-up for one big surprise at the end. Right. You know, it's just clue-gathering, clue-gathering, clue-gathering. Oh, this person did it. And that, no, that's not the most interesting engine for, to drive a movie. It's not the strongest engine. So I did this structure to basically take away the onus of whodunit with the audience to say don't worry about whodunit here's a person you care about they're in a really impossible spot let's all lean forward like in a hitchcock movie and see can they get out of this and that carries us through and then we kind of you know turn it back into a whodunit at the end.
1: Right, so for you, so what's the balance between you develop, you have a lot of ensemble characters? Which is great, because you got to introduce all the other potential suspects. You also got to lay clues. What's the balance between telling the emotional story, but also not giving away too much? The clue plot versus character, and all of that situation.
2: Well, you, I, I think the emotional story has to has to carry it, and all the other stuff has to be subservient in a way too. If you don't, that was ultimately how I approach it. First and foremost, it had to be a satisfying movie. That means you got to care about the. Main character, especially about Marta, you got to be invested in her, you got to worry about her, and you got to be happy when she kind of wins at the end. For me, keeping my focus on the truly satisfying ending is not the, oh, that person did it. It's the conclusion at the end when she's up on the balcony and the family's down there that's what's what I I was like that's what the movie is actually about so everything that works about it has to line up with
1: that well to me it sounds like it's actually a happy ending for the family because the only hope of them ever redeeming their souls would be Martyr helping them
2: which is kind of what what, uh, Harlan had in mind when he was talking about I hope I can fix some of this by doing that so I hope so yeah
1: last question so Daniel Craig obviously he was having a you can tell he was enjoying it Uh, so what was about developing his character and rumor has it you wanted to take his character further
2: yeah i mean we had so much fun doing this and for me it's 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 i don't even think of it as a sequel it'd be just like doing another benoit blanc mystery the same way agatha christie did multiple poirot mysteries so i mean the thing is i gotta write it
3: so.
2: <laughs> I, so it's a little thing but if i can write something that's worth a damn and if daniel's into it then we'll you know then i'd happily do it again yeah thank
1: you so much for talking to us and- So we'll go back to Vicky. So what? Did, I mean, this story could have been boys chasing girls, or the girls trying to get the boy to chase yeah. them. You want this story is more about female friendship and their bond. Yeah. What is that? What drew you to the original idea of you know this story? Yeah.
4: You know, I had been a fan of, of the, the previous versions of the script, and, and, and I was so excited about the opportunity to tell a story about female best friends. But when I came onto the project and Olivia was there, attached to the director, which was so exciting, we were so thrilled to be able to tell a story about two women where the love interests were kind of the C-plot or the D-plot. They weren't the focus of the story. And we were really excited to tell a story about judgment you know i think high school movies in particular it's really easy for the audience as well to put people in boxes it's a lot like high school there's the jock and the nerd and the cool kid and we wanted to try and like open the lid on that and and crack that box open and show. There's been a lot of movies about a nerdy girl who is revealed to be cool. There haven't been a lot of movies about cool kids who are revealed to be as multidimensional as the nerdy kids. And so we wanted to turn that on its head as much as possible.
1: Now, how do you work about, we're working on the, the relationship with Caitlin and Beanie, the great actors? How do you work with them, collaborating with them to kind of develop their voices?
4: It was the most extraordinary experience. They are the, the smartest, the funniest, the kindest people, and so open and so giving. They live together all through pre-production and production to try and speed up their bond, which which, I mean, I think they would have been bonded after 30 seconds anyway, but it was so wonderful. And it was great. I mean, we got to rehearse with them a lot. We got to talk out their voices, not just the specifics of both their differences and the way that they ended up sounding like each other, the way anyone does with their best friend, but we were able to infuse a lot of their personalities into the script itself. We learned Caitlin played the auto harp and and wrote that song for her to play on the hilltop. We were like, she's got to play an auto harp. Beanie's an enormous Harry Potter fan, which led to kind of a, a little Harry Potter subplot we wanted to add in with Nick. So it was really fun as we got to know them better to keep infusing Molly and Amy with the aspects of their personalities that delighted us the most.
1: Now, as a writer, what does a stop-emotion anim- animation sequence do for you as a writer, freeing you up?
4: It was so much fun. That was Olivia's idea. It was one of the first things she said to me when I came on. It was such a dream to get to figure out how to best do it in the movie, especially because we realized, you know, for t- these... Brilliant, young, ardent feminists. The true nightmare is not just to be stuck in the body of a '50s Barbie, but the t- then to kind of like it, to, re- to not to not be as ardent about it as when you're in it as you were before. So the process was extraordinary too. I never worked in stop motion animation before. We worked with this amazing company called Shadow Machine in Portland, and it was a six month process. From you know, I wrote. A scene and then we brought it up there and we realized the technical difficulties of certain elements of it we were rewriting to the space that we had and the dolls that we had and then continuing to rewrite uh the vocal records as well with beanie and caitlin as we were trying out new things occasionally it was olivia and my voices in there because we couldn't get them in in time but it was to keep letting it evolve and then see the finished product was such a dream come true yeah
1: i mean so it must have been a joy just being able to be subversive in this movie It oh. flip every audience expectation for the type of movie and as
4: said, leave it all out on the field. She was like, all our best idea. like so many high school movies, in general comedies, I feel like can feel like they're stuck in that genre. And she, her head just exploded with all the dance fantasy, the pool sequence. It was so fun to have that creative freedom and that creative, I think, courage to try things that in the genre wouldn't usually be considered for the norm.
3: So you have a
1: wealth of material to pull from. What was the challenge of deciding what you would take from that or leave out?
5: Well, uh, yeah, it was very, uh, very difficult because obviously we're dealing with source material that um, is canon and it is, you know, uh, such a classic uh, graphic novel that means so much to so many people. And so just figuring out how to... um, uh, instead of just strictly adapting the book, actually sort of take elements of it and reinterpret the DNA and figure out, you know, what what it looks like in today's world. That was that was the most complicated part.
1: And how's for you like I, I was struck by the Tulsa Riots storyline and the races. How's for you be able to explore a topic that most people don't know anything about, but also do it in a dramatically interesting way?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think it really just is all about character. You know, how, how does this, how does this event, um, sort of filter through the lives of the characters that we care about? Um, so rather than just sort of depicting it as a moment in history, it's really about, you know, uh, what is the generational legacy of this event?
1: So we're going to go to the end, actually. At what point in your process when you're mapping out the season do you decide on the Dr. Manhattan, who he really was, and the whole, you know, reveal that he was the husband of Regina Hall? Spoiler alerts. Spoiler alerts, everybody. Um, uh, It was very early. I mean, we knew that we couldn't do Watchmen without having Dr. Manhattan in it. And we also knew that once we reveal, once he was in the show, he would be an immense distraction, as naked blue men often are. So uh, we knew that we had to wait until the, the latter part of the season. And so started falling in love with the idea that he was hiding in plain sight. And then uh, the rest kind of came out of that. Um, so when you're writing, do you approach your animal characters differently than your human characters? Or do you kind of take them approach the exact same way for both?
6: Uh, we usually write the script... If there's any characters we don't already know are animals, we write them not really knowing whether we're going to draw them as animals or people. If they are very sexy, we tend to make them animals. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, uh, they could be either people or animals. But there's definitely, in our world, the. If you're a dog, you might be more prone to go attack the skunk person next door, um, a little friendlier. But uh, but essentially they're like they're like humans.
1: Uh, how's it be? How's it feel saying goodbye though?
6: Um, it is very bittersweet. It's been uh, just the ride of my life. It's been a, the uh, the writers have been like family to me, and uh, Raphael, who who uh, came up with the show and runs the show, has uh, has just let us write all these just really strange episodes. Uh, I've written an episode without words. An episode that, that uh, was someone slowly going insane. Uh, a series of drug blackouts was one episode. So we've been able to push the envelope of, uh, of possibilities. It's been really fun.
1: Thank you so much, and good luck so tonight. What was, the, what was the most interesting challenge of developing the Jen and Judy relationship?
3: Oh, well... We, like I said, Liz and I, you know, have been friends for
2: 25 years, so we had a little bit of a leg up in just being like, let's just have them talk how we talk, you know, and make each other laugh the way we make each other laugh, and I was so happy that it actually resonated with people because, like, they're really they get a kick out of each other, and so uh, it was really fun to build that
5: relationship.
1: Now, it was interesting with Jen because, you know, we kind of learned deeper that her her relationship wasn't perfect. How was that fun for you, like, exploring that dramatically?
5: It was really cool the way that we got to kind
2: of dole the story out over the season, where first Judy seems the one with all of the secrets, and then it's like, wait, wait, wait,
3: maybe Jen also has a little bit of skeletons in her closet, too. So it was fantastic.
1: So a question. Now that we've gone to a couple of seasons, do you feel now uh, for the writing that you know the cast so well, you can kind of now push it a little further, the writing, or kind of explore things so you know you can trust your cast and yeah, the relationship? Well, the great thing that happens after you've been with a cast long enough is that when you're writing it, the cast, you, and you start thinking about who's going to be saying the things, that it actually brings a whole new life to it, and you can kind of take it from a totally different angle, which is great. Uh, without giving away anything for uh, next season, uh, what's the biggest challenge going into a new season? Uh, we are... You know, we're going into new territory that I can't talk a thing about, but um, it's really going to be exciting because we've got some brand new stuff that we're going to, and the story of June's going to be all the more exciting this time. That's what we're looking forward to.
3: All right, thank you so much. Thanks.
1: Right. What are the biggest challenges in adapting kind of like a real-life crime, but mixing narrative, you know, we're trying to true, trying to be true, too?
7: Um... It's all, you know, I feel like it's all a little bit the same. You draw from, from the real-life characters, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, you have to weave in the conflicts of the characters that are, that are like a combination of real and fake. And how, um, yeah, it's just interweaving all those things. It's, it's difficult, but it's fun. It's like a, it's like a challenging exercise. Uh, what do you think Jonathan brought uh, special to your scripted characters? He's amazing. I mean, he was honestly like the hardest one to write for. I think just because he he does so much with his face, and like there's so much emotion in his eyes, and he's just like hard to kind of pin down and figure out. But uh, you know, it's again, it's just a it was a big challenge to to do that.
1: As a writer, do you feel a little more free because you know he can deliver what you need to get done? Like maybe tr- experiment more, push him further you know, when you're writing.
7: I mean. Between the rest teams, of the cast, I mean, too. Between, yeah, yeah um, between Holt, everybody, um, and then having you know somebody like David Fincher to kind of usher it all mm-hmm. makes it you know very easy as well. And, and Courtney Miles helping us, um, yeah, just making making us feel comfortable and kind of safe and writing and confident. And you need all those things and all that support to well, get it done.
1: Thanks so much, and
3: good luck tonight. Good luck. Thank you.
1: Um, so, what's the biggest challenge in trying to mixing uh, real life—I mean, historical drama—but also tell your own narrative story at the same time?
8: Uh, well, I mean, I think you know the challenge in this case, I think, is always is be, paying deference and being respectful of what really happened, especially in a, in the case of like Japanese American internment, which is not like some kind of lighthearted period. Of history, it's something that's very serious and that had a horrible impact on so many people. So, taking that history and respectfully treating the history uh, as the reality that was, while at the same time fictionalizing elements and characters uh, to create good drama, that's always the challenge with any kind of uh, historical show. And in this case, we're dealing with something that has uh, this heightened genre element. So it's all the more challenging, but, uh, but also uh, it was an uh, inspiration to have to be able to you know, go back and be given the resources to tell that moment in history uh, and deal with it in a way that it hasn't really been dealt with on, uh, on a big American network before. How
1: does it feel having a resource like George who actually knows the pain of what that was as a way, as a, you know, someone to you know, talk to about and explore with?
8: Well, that was incredible, and you know, Alex, our showrunner, worked very closely with George, uh, who grew up in it when I was first sort of conceiving the idea. Part of the inspiration was that I had heard George speak about his experiences years ago, uh, and I owned his book, and delved back into it and read. He was only a very, very young child uh, during that experience, but he obviously was deeply impacted by it, uh, and has really spent much of his life trying to make sure that it's been remembered properly.
1: How was it for the process when you first came on board collaborating with the writers room and Dan Fogelman?
4: Um, It was great. I mean, everybody that I work with are just such talented, gracious writers who took me under their wing. And so it was just all about me coming into the fold and learning how they do things and learning how, you know, the process of how they work. And that was it. Um, but yeah, it was such, such a great process because we have such great leadership. So
1: now that you're going to season five, you know the cast well. You work with them. How is it now writing for them now that you're more familiar with the cast and what they can do for you?
4: Yeah, I mean it's you know it's a lot more fun, feeling a bit more confident in yourself and, and your abilities. Um, but yeah, it's just exciting to think of more stories and more ways, and which we'll see the, you know their their journey go. So I'm, I'm excited to see it, just like other
3: people are excited to see it.
1: One quick question. We're from UC, UC Santa Barbara. Okay. Screenwriting TV show. Okay. All right. So, obviously, you did a lot of... Screenwriting TV show? Screenwriting TV show. Oh, I'll, I'll watch that. <laughs> uh, we do... Uh, so, you obviously did a lot of research. What was the biggest challenge of, like, distilling which stories you would take from the real life and how you can turn it into a dramatic, you know, through the dramatic characters? So that question really, let me restate your question. How do you write stuff? Because that's really what it
9: comes down to. That is where uh, after 25 years of doing this, you start to get a sense or, or you don't. But either way, it's required. You need to be able to look at this material and say, that is something. This is important and it is dramatizable and I understand how to do it. There are also things where you read it and you go... I need to create something different than history, but it will be true to the intent of history and the truth of history. And this is why, although there's a thousand little decisions and what it really comes down to, I think, honestly, is taste. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's hard to learn that except through
3: um, uh, basically trying and failing and trying and succeeding. You know, obviously,
1: Henry Link, Bill Hill, Hader's world, kind of collapses in the second season. Confronts with Henry Lincoln. Yeah. When did you decide, like, you were going to arc the season that way?
0: Um, we sort of go back and forth from you sort of zoom out and you look at big picture beginning to end. We kind of write all eight episodes as one big episode. Um, so you look at the whole thing and you kind of put a bunch of things in, you know, what we call buckets where there's, okay, this is an episode one bucket, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We do eight each season. Um, And then you go back to the beginning and you start writing kind of scene by scene. And then, I mean, the way I sort of think of it is like you put a bunch of landmarks out and then you can kind of see them and you try and go from this thing to that thing. And at a certain point you get to something and you realize, oh, there's a canyon here and we can't get from this to that. So we're going to have to go this way now. You know, and eventually,
1: hopefully, you can get back to some of it. So, I assume your experience as an assassin has helped you serve you well as writing for the show about assassin?
0: Not as well as you would think, (laughs) because my assassin business, now that I'm on camera, is not. Yeah, it's a ruin.
1: Thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you. So, our question is uh, with the research, what was the process in researching to create Kayla's character, who was a composite, but really, you know, Emolize the uh, you know the, the pain of what the women went through.
9: Absolutely, you know, uh, first and foremost, to find a character that we could tell that story with, where we weren't spotlighting a real person. Mm-hmm. There are three people that we had access to whose stories we had access to, who had that kind of relationship with Ailes, So we wanted to to sort of tell that story, um, and you know, it was about then once we sort of figured out the 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 sexual component, you know, giving her. Background and, and color that's more from my life. I come from an evangelical family. We had the Fox logo burned into our right. screen, and all that stuff. So, so she's a composite of sort of you know people I've known over the years from my world as well as these three women at Fox who had that experience with Roger Ailes. Is there a
1: different approach writing creating a character, Megan Kelly, because you got to create a persona, but you also want to create your own dramatic character too?
9: That's yeah, so much harder. It is <laughs> when they're real, it's really tough. It's just so tough with real people. It's you want them to be authentic, you want them to be interesting, but you know good characters are driven by internal emotional. Content. Conflicts, and that means you are putting a real person in a situation where they have some kind of emotional problem, and they may not like it. You know, I think Megan was not a hundred percent happy with with what I did with her, but I think in the end she acknowledged that, yeah, it was the right emotional conflict.
1: You know, uh, just so our last question for screenwriting students: uh, you had a we uh, had the scene with Kayla and Kate McKinnon on the phone. Yeah. Screenwriting rules never talk on the phone, but it was one of the most dramatic <laughs> yeah. moving scenes. What were the challenges of writing that scene? Oh wow. So interesting. You know that scene um, was was was
9: was all Kayla? Like you know, wrote Kayla first and got that emotional dynamic down first, and then because the because the 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 Kate character, Kate McKinnon's character, is responding in so many ways, it's a lot easier. So it's not really a violation of that rule, simply because it's really the it's really the one character's scene, and the other character is, is sort of functioning as a Greek chorus. It's, you're absolutely right, though. It's very hard to do when both characters have strong emotional yeah. beats. It doesn't work. But when one of them is sort of driving the emotional action and driving our emotional response
1: to the scene and the other is voicing what we're feeling, it can work. As a writer, your trick is cast Margot Robbie. Cast somebody so great who can pull off that stuff. <laughs> oh my, she's unbelievable. That's two takes.
9: That is two takes, that entire sequence. And by the way, it could have been one take. The second take, I don't think we really used anything from. So it's, you know, she doesn't miss. woman does not miss.
3: I'm down to do whatever Margot Robbie wants to do in life. <laughs>
1: Uh, so our question is w- at what point in the screenwriting process did you know the big twist like the midpoint when the person's living in the basement hiding
10: 그그그 대본을 쓰는 중에서 언제 그 대반전 알게 됐나요
11: 어 일단 저의 드래프트에서는 대반전은 없는 상황이었고 제 작업이 끝나고
10: so when I was writing it, when I was drafting it, there was no twist. It was only after the director had finished uh, drafting the screenplay that I uh, found out about the twist, and I went to a coffee shop and read it, and I thought, oh my gosh, what is this twist?
11: It, uh,
10: it happened in January
1: 2018. So what was the most challenging scene to write *A Parasite?
10: 들 um, 중에
11: 장면은 일단, 부자, 일단 제, 어, 이 사람들을 어, 악인처럼 보이, 그 누구도 악인처럼 보이지 않게 하는 게 가장 어려웠다 먼저 그렇게.
10: at first um the hardest part was trying to make the rich family not seem like villains.
11: 세상에는 절대 나쁜 사람만 있는 것도 아니고 절대, 절대 착한 사람만 있는 것도 아니지 않느냐.
10: Ah, in this world there aren't just uh, people who are absolutely villainous or absolutely kind.
11: 희로음과 히어로로 나뉘어진 그런 이분법적인 구도를에서 벗어나서 벗어나는 것이 가장 어려웠다.
10: Uh, the, mo- the most difficult part was getting out of kind of um, the sep- trying to separate uh, who's vil- a villain and who's a hero. I'm trying to get out of that binary.